Church Podcast, a fun, sometimes intellectual conversation about the church and the comings and goings of the congregation here at Living Word. I'm the man behind the board and one of your hosts, Zach Bensel. Joining me today, as always, is a man of taste, poise, and new glasses, Pastor Scott Millis. Welcome. Good to be here, as usual. Before you said the new glasses thing, I thought he was talking about me, but I guess Uh. not. Also with us, and he just spoke up, is a debonair gentleman (laughs) who knows his movies, Matt Kreider. Hey, what's up, everybody? And we've got two special guests with us, the youth kids on the block, Johnny and Rainey. (laughs) Say hi real loud, Rainey. Oh my gosh, I just about spit on my walk. They're kind of our studio audience today. Well, Rainey doesn't actually have a mic, so that's difficult. You good there, Matt? If she needs to say something, No, youth kids on the block, that was cracking me up. I just about choked on my water. All right, so how's it going, guys? Good, good. Right. Speaking good. of youth, we had our 80s game night the other night. Yes, we did. Rocked it out. There was nobody there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there was. There, there were was, people it, there. Yeah. There was, was people there. And it was very well done, I might add. Yeah. Um, I thought it, to Matt Kreider and Ashley Kreider for seven days. I was going to say it, Ashley's well. I heard some complaints. I can't remember who it was. was complaining about uh, who didn't win the costume <laughs> yeah. contest. Yeah. Nails was on fleek, girl. Yeah, so. Rainy was being really salty on that fleek? she didn't win the What does that even mean? I, nobody yeah, knows. I, I shouted. I raised my hand for you. So, well, let's. I thought I you did. were very well dressed. Real quick, let's jump to our resident Gen Z experts and ask them what does on fleek mean. No idea. <laughs> oh, Rainy, Johnny, you don't know for real. I'm going to defer this to you. I think it just means Perfect. like it's it's another way of saying good. Oh, we know how we know what it means. Where does the what's the fleek? You could Google etymology it right now because I. Did you just say entomology? Etymology. Yeah, that's etymology. a fancy word. I learned I that in English class. Wait, I, is it etymology or entomology? Entomology is uh, bugs, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Correct. Yeah. Etymology. Etymology is history, though. What? I learned that in English. History. Well, it's like, like the history of a word. Of a word. Like right. if you word go in the dictionary oh, and you gotcha. look at the etymology of a yes. word, it'll show you brief history. Correct. I think on fleek originated talking about like eyelashes, eyebrows, eyebrows, really? Fleek. Eyebrows on free. Uh, okay. I right. Oh my god. That's enough fleekiness for today. Fleekiness. Let's uh, All right. let's absquatulate abs- <laughs> <laughs> that, that subject and uh, that could be a new segment of the show is definitions. Word of the and day. We'll have a, like a little intro. Sure. For Pastor Scott to give us a definition of a large word. <laughs> hey, Scott's favorite fine. word of the week. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Word of the week. Word of the week. Word yeah. of the week with oh, Pastor Scott. Yeah, my yeah, favorite yeah. word is butter. No, but for the um. But we really did. We had a great time. I know. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always think, hey, you know, wish you know, a few well, more students would have come out. But yeah. the students and that I were think there it were was loving a it. Kind of an awkward time, wasn't? Because it was St. Joe's spring break. Yeah, St. Joe's. Wasn't it some yeah. Of else's but that's spring perfect break? because you know what? The eighties were an awkward time. <laughs> <laughs> this For is everybody. true. But it was hilarious because we had a couple games that I had set up to play, which turned out. I mean, yeah. timing wise, timing wise, worked out awesome. Um, we had a couple games we had set up, and so I had you know grabbed a couple fun group games off of Pinterest or whatever, and what I tried to do is wrap an '80s kind of a story around them or something like that. So the first one was I don't I don't know how you could define it define it, but it was um, two rows of chairs. So um, each side of the each team was facing each other, had three three uh, people facing each other, and they had to throw a small ball in a basket behind them with somebody behind with a pool noodle trying to deflect. 
And so I was going to work out like a like a you know USA versus Russia, Rocky versus Drago kind of a yeah. story to it, you know. But I'm as we're doing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is thermonuclear war from War Games with mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's perfect '80s reference. And so as we're going through this game, I'm just making these '80s references for thermonuclear war, or whatever. And every position, you know, th- these are mo- um, stationary rocket launcher. I'm like, this is all perfect. It's working oh, out perfectly. Yeah. And then we had the. Um, the pizza box game was yeah. the the great pizza feud of 1982. I mean, it was yeah. just kind of fun to build some 80s things around some yeah. just random games. So it, it was, was a, a fun time. It was a blast. Fun Had a really good time. time. So time. thank you for all the students that come out came out for that. So, but uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Scott started his uh, series on Galatians. What's the how? I felt like I thought it was really good. How did that? How did you did you get some good feedback? Yeah, from yeah, yeah, really did. Awesome. Yeah, I think people were uh, were kind of excited about yeah. uh, freedom, freedom, freedom in Christ, freedom, 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 freedom. freedom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was very good. That now, needs to be the graphic right there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we, William can, Wallace. we can make a fun social post about that. I think we could. Good. Now, um, now you had mentioned at the end on Sunday morning that so we had talked about our freedom in Christ. Yes, which is a little bit more of a general i mean we can get more specific with that so you had mentioned a couple of specific directions you might be going in the coming weeks and one of them was uh, i'm trying to remember now freedom so am i oh man i have to go back and listen to it i should have written it down but freedom in no it wasn't freedom in worship i'm just thinking about the worship series now man i lost it i had it but there was a couple of different things you're like next couple of weeks well i'm gonna touch on this and this regarding freedom and that right. message of free, the overall message of freedom in Galatians, but it was oh I, well. I think one of the things I specifically referenced, Matt, was there the idea of freedom in Christ can be and has been taken too far to to mean we oh, can do whatever yes. we want. Our sin yes. doesn't matter. Okay. And Paul specifically addresses that right right before he lists the fruit of the spirit. He talks about putting you know laying aside these deeds of the flesh right. and he lists those it's like you know so he's clearly not saying anything goes hey we're saved the the cross has happened therefore your behavior doesn't matter which is exactly what some people do right. that's exactly you know that paul wrote this letter to combat the legalistic judaizers right. so he's what he's saying you're free from are the are the you're free from the law you're free from this specific set of religious hoops you have to jump to jump through to get to God, but it doesn't mean you're free to sin. Right. We've actually been freed from sin, right? right. And freed that's what sin. we'll kind so, of be looking at. So, would you say, and maybe this isn't a good way to characterize it, would you say we've been freed from the letter of the law, but not from the spirit of, spirit the, law. of the law? That's a, that's a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah. Because if you think about it, I mean, that the was law really smart, man. That, thank you very much. But because the law reveals the character of God right, and the right. and, and God's expectations of like His holiness, His perfection. Right. So obviously, ne- something we could never attain ourselves, which is the reason Jesus had to come and attain it for us. Correct. But just because Jesus paid that price for us, and so we're no longer under the weight of the law, the law is still there to show us what God expects, like to still show us, hey, this isn't some legalistic thing that you have to adhere to, but at the same time, thou shalt not murder is still very much in effect. Wouldn't you say? Like, right. You, you well, say, and then there you go. Then you, then you have to talk about the difference between the ceremonial law, right. the moral law, right, uh, and the Levitical law. You know, yeah. there were there were certain 
these things fall under different categories. And, and I think what Paul is specifically talking about are the, the ceremonial aspects, particularly, of course, the big one, circumcision. Right. Because that's the main thing that the Judaizers were trying to force upon the Greek Christians at the time. Right. And Paul uses some pretty colorful language to combat that. Right, right. You know, I uh, always wonder what Paul would be like nowadays. Like, I You always, know what? I've I wondered the same thing. In fact, Pastor Scott, you and I had a conversation about that. We were talking about, I think we were talking about youth ministry and some things, and I was kind of probably voicing some frustrations with uh, just kind of some aspects of that. But how do you, you know, Paul did such a fantastic job of, you know, reasoning with people and talking to people and, you know, planting churches and, right. you know, winning people for the Lord. Uh, how do you do that in such a such a culture as we live in today where people are just kind of like, I don't believe and I don't care. Like I'm just do I'm just living my life. I'm, I have, I have my own truth. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that seems to be a, a the, the, I hear what you're saying. And this, you know, we can probably segue from this into talking about relevance at large. Okay. Yeah. But it's kind of a hard question to answer. The first thing I was thinking of when you when you asked, you know, what would Paul be like if he were here today, is trying to imagine which preacher would he be most like. Oh. The problem with trying to draw a parallel like that, or even right. trying to figure out how do we do today what Paul did, is comes down to the definition of an apostle. Paul, okay. you know, spent chunks of his letters defending his apostleship because it was different. The 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 purest definition of an apostle uh, like Paul or Peter or John or James was that they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay. Right. Now you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and so right. have I, but they knew the living. I mean, we're talking, they received their, their, um, their call. What's the word I'm looking for? Their commission as apostles from the mouth of Jesus himself. The big difference between Paul and the rest of them was he had that encounter just as real and just as tangible and just as visible, but he had it after the resurrection. All right. the rest of them had their, their, uh, even though they, they, they also had an encounter with the post, you know, the post resurrection right. Jesus, they also knew him beforehand. Right. And, but Paul felt like he really had to make the case that he was no less an apostle than the others. Right. Now, are there still apostles today? Yeah. Are there apostles like Paul today? Boy, if if there are, you know, you'd have to say that that somebody maybe here, here's a scenario that, that would allow for that that somebody on an isol in an isolated culture where there is no there are no teachers there are no preachers there's no written word but somebody because uh, they look around and they take an, and make an honest assessment of nature and come to the conclusion there's a God out there I want to know who He is and God reveals Himself in the person of Jesus Christ in an open vision in an appearance and then this man might be then given supernatural revelation to share with his right. equally isolated neighbors. What we would call an apostle today is not every missionary, but I would say somebody, for instance, and we may have talked about this before, somebody like Neil Childs, who goes into a largely unreached area of the world, in this case, Niger. You know, he grew up on the mission field in Nigeria, mm-hmm. working with his dad. And then he likewise planted a work in Niger. The difference between an apostle like that and an apostle like Paul is, of course, that 
Neil was taught. You know, he he learned the Bible from teachers and preachers, but his mission is very apostolic in that he presented the gospel to people who had never heard it before and importantly, founded churches where he established pastors and congregations there, but mm-hmm. still exercises, uh, exercises oversight and leadership to them. So in that yeah. sense, and I've even asked him, you know, would you consider that this is an apostolic role? And he said, yeah, uh, you know, it, it is, but we don't we, go around on purpose. Don't go exactly right. because right. that just, it sets people off. You so. know, that brings up just kind of what you were saying there about talking about how like if we were to have an Paul today, this is what he would have to do. It really just kind of shows, like, I think sometimes, myself included, how we kind of just underestimate Paul. And not like he's like, it's not like he's Jesus or anything, but just like you said there, it's like if you look at it, I mean, he wasn't, he was a Jew, so he was taught Jewish things. He grew up in a Jewish culture, but just all this stuff about Jesus and about Christianity. Yeah. Just how it was revealed to him and how that's really, I mean, we it, just... Our great teachers now, they learn, it's like you said, they learn stuff. I mean, right, it's right. So right. it's really amazing to there, there see was how a, he worked that out. Th- it really is. Paul, clearly, aside from Jesus Christ himself, mm-hmm. the single most influential Christian oh, yeah. in history. Uh, interestingly, I read a book years ago. Um, I think I remember the author, but since I'm not 100% sure, I won't name him, where he listed like uh, the 100 most influential people in all of history. Uh-huh. And I think I remember you mentioning this from the I may have. And he actually listed Muhammad first because Muhammad, in his estimation, and this is a silly way of looking at it, but in his (laughs) estimation, you know, Islam being the the, you know, second most popular religion in terms of how many, you know, at least nominal adherents there are. But Muhammad did it essentially single handedly. He established Islam. Uh, and, And I don't know if this guy was it had a muslim background or not uh but then the the next two were jesus and paul uh and he's you know christianity obviously is a big is a bigger force to be reckoned with but christianity obviously wouldn't exist without jesus christ but it never would have spread like it had except for paul so the two of them were occupied number two and three on this list and again i think that's a a ridiculous way of looking at it but you're right it it just serves to kind of drive that point home that paul really was uh uh supremely instrumental oh yeah very uh, yeah 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 now interesting it's interesting because we and you had mentioned this on sunday morning that paul um essentially was sequestered or secluded for what a year two three years three three years after that encounter with jesus Mm -hmm. where the scriptures were revealed to him but he already had the whole of jewish bingo scripture already i mean he was you know a pharisee of pharisees like he was taught like he knew all of this so basically the way i look at it is he was sequestered and god was revealing to him and and basically, God was connecting the dots for him. Exactly. Because you know, I'm not saying that God can't open up, start to finish, A to Z revelation for somebody and show them everything. But God is saying, okay, here's what, here's everything that you have grown and taught. Here's my word that I've given to my people. Now, here, let me show you. Let me show you how this all fits together. Sure. Let me connect the dots for you. And so Paul comes out from this, you know, three year uh, of being away and like just runs circles around everybody else with his logic and how he connects everything and how he. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just, that's, in, that's incredible. So it's like he started with that foundation that God had given him, of course, given his people, 
but then Paul was able to get that revelation of how that owl actually fits together and showing him the big picture. That's right. And you have to remember, uh, there's been a little discussion in years past, I know, about did the authors of the New Testament know they were writing scripture? And they did. I'm, I'm quite convinced they did. And the, and the, the, best confirmation we have that and that is in second uh, peter i think when he's talking about paul he says you know paul's written some things that are hard to understand and because they're hard to understand there are people who take them and twist them like they do the rest of the scriptures right. oh wow yeah. and yeah. so i think there's there's kind of he's pronouncing paul's writing as canonical mm-hmm. uh, but having said that most of the time when they talk about scripture in the New Testament, they're talking about the Old Testament. You know, when they talk right. about, you know, all scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament. They weren't throwing it away. That's what they were using to preach Christ. And that was right. exactly what right. they do, especially right. for the early Jewish Christians. It's right. like, let me show you, you know, it's like when Philip, uh, who wasn't even an apostle, he was one of those early ones that were uh, given an anointing to do more than uh, what they were doing already, like Stephen was as well. But Philip went up and hopped in the Ethiopian's chariot because he was there reading scripture. What was he reading? He was reading Isaiah. And from the point where the uh, Ethiopian eunuch was reading, it says Philip preached Christ to him. Right. Uh, so they were preaching Christ right out of... Now, this Ethiopian was an Ethiopian Jew, correct? Uh, yeah, well, I would say, yeah, he was a proselyte, yeah. Okay, okay. Right. So, um, so we see that the Jews were approached slightly differently because they had the background, they had the law. Right. How do you, what what differences do we see in scripture between the way that Paul preached Christ to the Jews who already had a background and can maybe more easily connect those dots. Right. As opposed to Greeks or other non-Jews who. All things to all men. Bingo. Yeah. That is what Paul means when he says to the Jew, I'll be as a Jew to the Greek, I'll be as a Greek, uh, I'll, I'll, to, to those without the law, I'll be as those the without the law. backing up for both of those things. Right. He says, I will become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. Right. Uh, and his approach was different. This, I have criticized a ministry, and I don't mean to be critical for the sake of being critical. I think it's a ministry that's done some, some great stuff, but there's a particular evangelistic tool that they're very, very concrete and uh, rigid on this idea that you cannot present Jesus Christ to anybody without first presenting them with the law. You know, they're going to say, so they start with the Ten Commandments. You know, right. Have you ever murdered? Yeah. No, I've never murdered. Well, Jesus said, if you've ever hated your brother or called him a fool, then you're a murderer. So are you a murderer? Yeah, okay, I've murdered. Have you ever committed adultery? No. Well, Jesus said, if you, and I'd get, this is all good stuff, yep. but for somebody who has no respect for the law yes. and doesn't have that background, yes. it doesn't work. You've got to have a different approach. Right. And and the best picture of that is probably Paul on Mars Hill. He's taken yep. on the, the Greek, these philosophers, and he's just there waiting around. It wasn't like God called him, hey, go to the Areopagus and, and start preaching to these guys. He had some time to kill, so he starts engaging in this conversation, and he's quoting the their own poets to them, right? You know, not not scripture. Not that he did. Not that he avoided scripture, but uh, you know, we've talked about that before. That's uh, that's one of Ravi's favorite, I think, yeah. episodes in the in the New Testament. Right. And I love that too. And I think that that gives us some great insight and some clues on how to deal with an unbelieving culture. For it sure. does. But so I mean, I, I so I well, I guess you start with you don't start with the 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 law. They don't start with the scripture. You don't start with the Ten Commandments. You start with the the very nature that we live in speaks of God. Right. I mean, I guess right. that's where that would be a good well, jumping off point. You I know think, I I've think it to... even goes back to what we've said. I know we've mentioned this multiple times before about just um, how relationship 
trumps everything and relationship and rapport. I mean, yes, that's going to create an avenue for you to right. spread the gospel. And like with Paul on Mars Hill, I mean, he didn't probably have a relationship with those guys, but he obviously built up a rapport with them when he was quoting their own prophets right. and stuff. And they're right. like, Oh, this guy actually knows this stuff. And then that right. leads into an avenue when he is presenting the gospel. Right. They're like, well, he knows this. He, right. He probably knows this too, you know? So, right. And that's I mean, it. It's, it's when we're talking about reaching our culture, you know, let's talk about relevance for just a second. You know, what, what, what is the goal of being relevant? It's that. It's so that we can speak into people's lives. Right. And I don't think, I think it's a, it's a f- fool's errand to try to become a church or even a minister that is going to speak into our culture because our culture is people. Right. What are we doing? We're equipping the saints to speak Christ into the lives of their unsaved friends, right. neighbors, and family. Now... As far as culture goes, you know, relevance is it's 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 almost a buzzword. Yeah, it really has more to do with what we're addressing than anything else. Because you can take the word relevance, and some people say, well, that means uh, you've got to have cup holders uh, for coffee in your sanctuary. Right. You've got to have a light show. You've got to have the smoke. You got to have this. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not relevance. That's, that's simple. That's, that's nothing more than uh, uh, preference for yeah. design, certain, you know, aesthetics. It, yeah, aesthetics, aesthetics. Thank yeah. you. And again, nothing wrong with that, but that, that's not relevant. Re- relevance is what we're talking about. There was a, um, you mentioned relevant magazine. One of the, editors or people on the staff of that magazine at least was uh brett mccracken is he still with that magazine um i i still get it but i have no idea but he wrote a book called hipster christianity Uh, and he also wrote a book called gray matters which i was excited about but it didn't turn out to be as good uh and hipster christianity was just okay but he did talk he did a lot of study and found out that a lot of the younger people uh who churches were trying to reach with I guess what you'd call bells and whistles yeah were really turned off by that and were finding themselves drawn to more traditional environments you know um and and it turned out what they were really hungry for was just good solid food in the terms of of uh well-taught bible they really didn't need uh the latest and greatest in terms of the music Certainly not the room or the furniture. Not, again, we want to do these things to be a blessing to our people, uh, make it easier on on, the, on our senses. And I think that should. We should involve all of that stuff. But if we are doing those things and ignoring what is the core right. of our coming together, we're going to lose everybody. Right. right. Um, and I think you. I think you take that the way I've always seen it. And I know. I know. Sometimes it's easier just to invite somebody to church than you to be the one to. Sure. Really minister the gospel to somebody. Right. But I, I, I believe God's design for the church is to equip the saints, train them up, and send them out. You yes. know, I've seen um, leaving out of church. I would love to get this in our church parking lot. But leaving uh, some church parking lots, I've seen signs that says, you know, you're now entering your mission fields. Like, right. right. Being in this building, it's great if you want to breathe, bring an unbelieving friend and talk that's to them right. about stuff. You know, that's fine, too. That's yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Yeah. But don't let that be the only way you minister to this person. Hey, I'm going to invite you to church. And I think you can be inviting people to church. Here's the thing. The longer, and this is a, I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but, uh, you know, some of our most dedicated and faithful people here at Living Word are, uh, are in the retirement season of their lives. Okay. And so they are, they are, 
volunteering. They're doing a lot of work. They're supporting us with their finances, but they personally don't have a lot of opportunities because of where they, this season in life, most of the people they associate with are already believers. So it's super important to get the new believers plugged in, taught, and equipped because they're the ones typically who have a bigger circle right. of non-Christian uh, friends and acquaintances. And that's particularly true of students, of course. Right, absolutely. Uh, our students of uh, uh, all through their college years are going to be rubbing shoulders with more non-Christians in that right. season of their life than they probably ever will. Right. Uh, depends on what kind of work they do, but a lot of people's jobs, you know, it's a one-on-one or they're sitting in a cubicle. It's not like they, they are constantly rubbing shoulders with the world. But I think, you know, you can knock on doors and invite people to church. Sometimes it works. I don't think it's a very, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to get to your, look at your, um, what kind of return you get on that investment. Right. It's probably not the most effective way, but you certainly can have enough of a relationship with somebody at school, at work to invite them to church. And I think that's good. That can be part of that relationship evangelism. And maybe if they come, maybe they'll hear something at church or see something that causes them to ask a few more questions. I, right. I, we, I've seen that happen dozens of times in my life, if not hundreds. So I think that's a pretty good way. I think, I think inviting someone to church is a, a legitimate, uh, form of sharing the gospel with your with your friends yeah. and neighbors no, and I, I don't think you were saying it was no i'm not saying i'm not saying you don't want to invite people to church obviously you do and that can be a way yeah but if your outside of church life doesn't speak volumes and That's if right. you're not mm-hmm. already living that out and and you know sharing your faith and you know what i'm saying yes when you, you, buy, yeah. you can buy Absolutely. all the people you want the church but it's kind the of lifestyle evangelism right. Right. is super mm-hmm. important and i will say this and i'm sure you've heard me say something <laughs> like it before yeah your lifestyle should speak of christ uh you should have it shouldn't shock anybody when you invite them to church but also every believer ought to be able with very little thinking at all it should just be part of something we are ready to do ought to be able to lead somebody to christ right absolutely. if you know in the perfect world somebody comes up and says how can i be saved you should be able to say something more than let's call my pastor or right. come to church right. with me it's like here's how you're saved right. uh and this is you know we, we're talking about relevance you look just over the past 40 50 years in this country it's Again, you can't talk about this without kind of the broad brush treatment because people came to Christ for different reasons at different times. Uh, but you look in the the, the counterculture uh, 60s, okay? And what a lot of these people were looking for was something deeper, something more meaningful, something that really uh, touched them, touched their souls more than this. I guess the American dream that this was a Christian nation, but it was kind of a veneer of Christianity. It wasn't not that people weren't saved and not that they weren't good people, but good American Christians was kind of a shallow expression. And were there deep, deeply committed Christians in the midst of that? Absolutely. Was, you know, does any more than today it does. Does it mean if somebody says they're a Christian, does it really mean they've had a personal experience with Christ? Not necessarily. But I think these young people, uh, the baby boomers, uh, came up in a time where many of them started to question what really is the important stuff in life. And so right. therefore, you know, while some people uh, 
turned to drugs and turned to, you know, it was, it's this, it was an existential crisis and people started following the existential philosophers. Uh, but some, some of them came straight from that to Christianity and the Jesus people, you know, right. the, it was the Jesus people, those, those believers who were right in the thick of that cultural moment who started to produce the early Christian music, modern Christian music yeah. and speak to that culture. Did, and some of the people who were really touching those lives didn't do it by becoming hippies. They didn't do it by adopting their lifestyle. They were just there in their midst. And right. so I think that's the other mistake, that we can only be relevant to a certain segment of society by adopting their lifestyle. We don't. No, just right. have to treat them with respect. Yes. And, uh, and see, and here's where I think and what I've seen happen is sometimes it, it's very easy for us to get an us versus them sure. kind of a mentality, right. you know. I'm born again, saved. I'm I'm part of the 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 church, and here these people are not. That's right. You know what, right. I, mean? You know what I mean. And I think that's easy for them to sense. It's sure. like, okay, here's you up on this high horse's pedestal, and I think it's so important for us as believers to foster those relationships, to treat people with dignity, with grace, with love and respect. Right. Let them know, hey, we care about you. You know, I may not agree with everything that you do, just like you yeah. don't agree with everything I do. I'm human. I still make mistakes, but hey, let's let's hash some things out. Let's right. let's have some good conversations. You know, hey, I heard yeah. your I heard your mom's in the hospital. You know, can I can I pray with you? You know what I mean? Saying just real, just life day to day kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, but but walking in that love and grace, right. and never being like, you know, I'm too good for you, or right. never yeah. never never just that air of superiority yeah. or air of righteousness or anything like right. that. Because I think that when people see you living life with them and caring about them. Pastor Scott used to say it all the time back when we were in youth group. People don't care what you know, and how oh man, how did that people go? People don't care how much you know till they know how much know you care. How much you care? Yes, and mm-hmm. that and that is so key because you're going to win more people to Christ by a solid, genuine relationship. That's right. Than you will just by telling them yeah, things. Right. You know? That's right. So, yeah, that's that right. kind of reminds me, Scott, of something I was going to ask you is. Um, <laughs> when Matt said, like, you know, we shouldn't act, like, better than them. I was talking to my dad the other day, and we were talking, like, shouldn't we, aren't we to a degree, as Christians, you know, better, for lack of a better word, than people who aren't Christians? Well, yeah. and I uh, To a certain degree. Depending on what you mean by that. It, it, I think, yeah. obviously, if you, by better, you mean well, uh, yeah. our morals— you know, are, are, do we have a better set of morals? Yeah, we do. And we should be. And if we're living according to those things, then yeah. yeah. Uh, but in another sense, just by nature, you know, Paul, when he was uh, chastising the Corinthians about the, the things that they were, they were arguing about, things that they were involved in, he said, when you do this, aren't you acting like mere men? Yeah. Uh, Mere men. That's a, what's that mean? It's a, well, if I'm a believer, I'm not a mere man. So right. there's a superiority there. But but I hear. I think what Matt's saying is we don't lord our Christian. Right. We right. Don't say, I'm yeah. better than you. You're right. You're, you're not worthy of my attention I'm and my affection and my sacrifice just because right. you're not a Christian. Obviously, yeah. that's not not where we're at. I wanted to share this this real quick. I know we're getting short on time. I've shared this in the pulpit a couple times at least, and this is uh, from Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Is There. And he quotes, uh, he shares this quote. Uh, it's been attributed to Martin Luther. I think somebody finally tracked this down. It's not Martin Luther, uh, but the guy who wrote this as part of a, a book he was writing actually got this 
this sentiment was very much expressed by Luther. It just wasn't his quote. Just just so you have a little bit of uh, attribution here. But here's the statement. If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Uh, So what we have to figure out is... Is the battle we are fighting the the one that needs fighting? You know, we we are not here today uh, as Christians arguing about slavery. You know, that question's been settled uh, on the right side by law in this land. Uh, But there are cultural things that are going on that do need addressed and, and to stand up and preach vigorously about everything except the things that our culture is pressing us on is not to be scripturally relevant. To, to be relevant, we have to be, not that we have to take on every issue, and I'm not talking just in terms of politics, you understand. The word is always going to be relevant, but we have to say, all right, then what does the world, what does the word of God say about this that's going on in the world right now? What is our cultural battle? Uh, and, and to be able to address it scripturally, relevantly, but lovingly. Uh, because Lord knows there are enough voices out there that are so combative right. that, that no matter how right they are, they will never win anybody. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. Right. Remember, we're trying to win people, not win arguments. Right. So, Oh, I like that. Win people, not win people. just to win arguments. That's right. So, awesome. Excellent. Thank well, you, Pastor Scott. That about wraps it up. Oh, but before we go real quick, we'd like to take a chance do a new little segment uh take a quick second share some of our favorite things this week so who wants to go first that would be scott's on uh scott doesn't know matt you got something well Um, what's on fleek for you (laughs) i have been on fleek with yeah really um actually read a book recently that was very interesting um Gosh, I don't have it sitting in front of me. I should have grabbed it. But called uh, Devil, at, uh, Devil at My Window. I talked to you about it. Yeah, I've Pastor got a Scott. copy. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, um, got him. It's a real, it's a real small wheat, small read. <laughs> small wheat. <laughs> so it's a real small, small it's a little book. Small grain of wheat. <laughs> but it's um, it's it's historical and it's um, from a um, gentleman's perspective. It was in the 1960s. There was a. Oh, uh, on a university in Texas, there was a shooter from a, the bell tower. Oh, right. And uh, this, you know, a number of people uh, died, unfortunately, in this instance. And it was a long time ago, so I had only vaguely known about it. But our neighbor, her mom, actually wrote a book, interviewed uh, the gentleman from his perspective on what was going on and all the health issues and the marital issues that, that stemmed from this because he and his wife were both on campus. Um, Wait, interviewed the shooter or interviewed no, a victim? Oh, no, 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 the victim because okay. the shooter died that gotcha. day. Like the, the security officers you know, took him down or whatever. But anyway, it was just fascinating from this gentleman's perspective on just the way the enemy was – the. the the devil was attacking him starting. It wasn't even just that. It was starting with that. And there were mm. two or three different more episodes in his life where the devil's like, I'm going to get you like wow. very, in a very real way for him. And he just, um, kept standing firm and standing strong, you know, uh, through all of this, it was just very fascinating, a very, very interesting read. So that was something kind of, um, that I've been up to lately. So gotcha. How about you? Um, gosh, my favorite thing this week, I just, um, 
downloaded a little note-taking app that uh, has helped me a little bit. I want to get back into writing. Um, oh. I used to do like, a lot of... Like what kind of writing? Songwriting? Just Are you writing, writing a novel? in general. Romantic um, fiction? I mean, I... Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I wrote a lot in high school, like creative um, writing stuff. Yeah, where you just creative writing, yeah. but also just like just taking notes, observational yeah. writing. Um, I wanted a note program that I could kind of do something where maybe like at the end of every day, I just write a note and then I can tag it to something and uh-huh. then eventually maybe compile that stuff together. So I found a program that I can do that in. So pretty that's cool. My favorite thing. I'm excited about getting into that and seeing awesome. where that takes. Right on. Very nice. You so, got you got some neat things you're working on, or I can do you have even some tell neat us things. about? Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing that I was just writing about the other day that I could probably share is just um, I have a real passion for volunteering at the church, obviously. And thank you and, for that, by the yes. way. But also other people who volunteer and just how, I mean, the church is essentially its lifeblood is volunteers. Right. Because the three or four of you on staff can't do it all. Yeah. And just talking about, I was just kind of toying around with the idea of that and how how we as a church body can help and volunteer and stuff like that and having awesome. an attitude of excellence about it. So very yeah. cool. Right on. Right on. How about right. you, Pastor Scott? Peace, Scott. Been reading the Bible and <laughs> <laughs> Well that's good. That's what I'm into, you heathens. <laughs> uh no, but yeah. Johnny, Scott, anything? Yeah? I've um Scott, you want <laughs> Rainy? <laughs> I... Rainy, if you say anything about the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> I was going to say that. But oh, there you go. Rainy, her favorite thing is her cat. So that's That's good, not surprising. Pastor Scott, you're not a fan of cats to begin with, are you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm becoming less a fan of cats just because I can Wait. see through them. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is interesting. I know that cats can be, they can appear affectionate. And they are pleasant to, you know, when they're acting like that, you feel like, my cat loves me, but they've scientifically shown that cats can't love you. No. Uh, dogs can. Dogs yeah. enjoy you. They enjoy your company. Cats good. just want your body heat, and they want your food, and they want the the friction from a good scratch or something like that. And when they're done, they get up and leave. They're very. Uh, they have no loyalty. Yeah. All, right. All right. Well. <laughs> We'll end it there for this week, guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, subscribe so you can get notified about future episodes. Also, make sure to leave a review and let us know how we're doing and send any questions you may have to podcast at livingwordfamily.org. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Living Word Family Church Podcast.